Kyle Sondland and Herbert Konings are founding partners for Security Token Group. All opinions expressed by them or guests on this podcast are solely their opinions and do not represent the views of Security Token Group or its subsidiaries. You should not take any opinion expressed on the show as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow any investment strategy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Hello and welcome to the Security Token Show. It's Monday and we've got another fantastic week of Security Token news. All the latest and greatest, all the newest offerings, the trading market updates, a look inside the metaverse. Our main topic this week, which is going to be all about the international opportunity for security tokens. We've got a great show lined up for you today, don't we, Kyle? We can't wait. We're here in sunny Miami, Florida. And look, this show wouldn't be possible without our sponsors. This week, an amazing sponsor. We've worked with them for years. This is INX, a US-based marketplace broker-dealer. They're doing all of the great stuff in the security token space. Specifically, they had a new announcement, INX. They're trading multiple different tokens, now integrated with the Avalanche blockchain. They built a whole system to support all of their blockchain applications, of course, because AVAX is an Ethereum virtual machine product. It works well with all of your different things, such as MetaMask and all the like. You can go to oneone.inx.co. You can access all of their trading tools, get to know what's on their platform, and get investing in the security token industry. Thank you so much to INX. And with that, let's get into our top five. And kicking off our top five, we're starting with number one. Goldman Sachs, Banco Santander, UBS with another blockchain-based pilot program. This time they're using Finality as well as HQLAX for blockchain-based settlement on multiple different tokens using CBDC, central bank digital currencies for the settlement process of these different structured products that are in their test environment. Also using atomic swaps for the transactions, something Herwig and I covered on the main topic a while back. They're also using Ethereum as well as the private enterprise blockchain called Corda, which shows the interoperability of these systems between different smart contract platforms and all the different settlement bases around the world, which is crucial when we're dealing with inter-jurisdictional asset transfer. It doesn't matter which blockchain you're building on, which technology you're using, they're all interoperable together. That is number one. Another big win for Goldman, second time in the top five, two weeks in a row there. Fantastic stuff. Moving on to number two, we've got ADEX out of Singapore. They announced that they are adding venture debt to their options. Uh, they've tokenized with Innovin Capital, a $50 million venture debt fund that, of course, will now be available on the ADEX platform. Fantastic news from Singapore. Keeping our news abroad into number three, we have Deutsche Börse, the leading financial institution in Germany, announced that their platform that they've backed, 360X, has launched their newest security token offering. And this is a use case that we've talked about quite a bit offline on Twitter spaces with a lot of our different clients. You haven't seen as much domination of it in the natural world because it doesn't seem like the most institutional deal, but it's fascinating. And that is music royalties. Specifically, a German composer is 
issuing the royalties of some of his compositions through a security that you can invest in. This is not an NFT. They make it very specifically clear. It's not access into this specific work of art, but it is actually ownership in the royalties and revenue streams created by this German composer. Presumably, this is one of many coming in the future, but major shout out to Germany for making waves in the music space. Absolutely awesome. More news on that with Jason later on the show. Number four, we've got Congressman Torres. They are calling for an investigation into Gensler and the SEC specifically for their role in FTX, which is very interesting because many of you know for years now it's been confusing and there's been a lot of gray area as to how and who is the enforcement for the crypto industry. And it now looks like when things have come to uh, chaos, it's now looking for a blame game and it looks like the SEC may be caught under fire. Could be an opportunity for them to potentially get more control and potential regulation involved, but we'll see what happens. And number five, to round us out, Mauritius, a country in East Africa, has approved the first security token trading system license for a platform. This is BEX, Mauritius Block Exchange. They are going to be trading security tokens for worldwide access. Don't go anywhere. We've got more industry news with Annie Anzi now. Happy Grand Rising, everyone. Let's get started. The INX Digital Company, Inc. has announced plans to fully integrate the Avalanche blockchain with INX. The Avalanche integration, which is planned to be completed this quarter, is a step forward toward the vision of accessing real-world assets on-chain. INX One is a true as-a-service platform designed for capital raise purposes. It streamlines the issuance process by providing everything needed to quickly and easily issue a digital security token to raise capital. By integrating Avalanche, the tokenization platform will unlock even greater possibilities for issuers raising capital and wider access to investment opportunities and liquidity for investors. Moving on, we have the ongoing debate of the year on whether Ether is a commodity or security. This week, U.S. Senator Cynthia Loomis said Bitcoin is the only cryptocurrency that can be considered a commodity. He stated Ether is now a security thanks to September's Ethereum merge. Loomis is a sponsor of the Responsible Financial Innovation Act, which will give the CFTC power to set regulatory standards for crypto if it is passed. Loomis also believes her bill might have stopped the FTX scandal. The reason she believes it is because the bill will have a clear definition between a commodity and security as well as protection. On that note, we can move on to what Michael Seller had to say about altcoins. Seller was being interviewed by entrepreneur Patrick Bet David for his podcast. He was asked what he thinks about Ripple. He said Ripple is an unregistered security just like Ethereum and all other altcoins. He continued to add that the best thing the SEC could do is shut down all of it. Next up, we have a new SEC appointed commissioner, Jamie Lizarraga. Lizarraga delivered his first public statements on digital assets at FinTech and the law event held in Brooklyn Law School. In his statement, he said he wants to understand the perspective of working families or persons investing in digital assets and that he agreed with the SEC chairman Gary Gensler's view that most digital asset tokens are securities, which means many digital assets intermediaries are operating as unregistered market participants. The commissioner also attributed problems in the digital asset market to the fact that it is largely unregulated. 
For our last news of the day, Security Token Advisor sat down with Pete Kavanaugh to discuss his new tokenized residential real estate fund. Pete Kavanaugh is the CEO of Iron Horse Capital Group, which focuses on aggregating portfolios of single-family residential properties. Kavanaugh is tokenizing this property through a 506C raise and offers a 7% yield with two quarterly distributions delivered so far. To learn more about his offering, you can reach out to him personally at Pete at IHCG.pro or email STA Head of Consulting Alec Beckman at Alec at SecurityTokenAdvisors.com. Okay, folks, that's all for today. Let's see what Jason has with his STO update. Hello, tokenizers. I'm Jason here with your STOs of the week. Let's jump right in with Deutsche Borsa backed 360X Music, issuing a security token backed by Music Royalties. This is in association with, the Germany's, with Germany's Music Rights Management Society, GEMA, and the royalties come from German film scorer and composer Hans Gunter Wagner and his compositions. These security tokens are an investment and quite different from buying a music NFT closer to purchasing a track to listen to. They will be instantly settled in euros and they look forward to issuing more for people to participate in the success of their favorite composers and lyricists. Next, we have ADDX, tokenizing and listing venture debt. This is for Innovin Capital, a JV between Sevura and UOB, focusing on high growth startups and tech companies in Southeast Asia. This $50 million fund is combining a fixed return with the possibility of capital gains as the token value goes up in secondary markets. The minimum is starting at $20,000, whereas their normal minimum is at $5 million, definitely for more uh, investors worldwide. And while venture debt makes up around 25% of VC deals in the US, ADDX CEO Oichu says that in Southeast Asia, that figure is less than 5%. This strongly suggests that there is room for expansion as venture debt funds raise more capital from investors and deploy that capital in a region where the prospects for tech startups remain bullish in the medium to long term, despite the uncertainty we've seen in the capital markets this year. Now, last but not least, we have our friends over at Brickin. Them with NWC10 Lab launching a contest where the winner gets their own security token issuance valued at over $10,000. The winner will also get a two-hour general consultation, a two-hour marketing consultation, along with community and social media growth, access to influencer networks, and internal marketing. They already have 1,300 subscribers to the contest, and people can still sign up until the end of the year. Now, to learn more, check out the link associated with this in our bio. That's all for this week. Now, on to Nick with the market update. Hello and happy Monday. Welcome to the market update. My name is Nick Steffen from Security Token Advisors, bringing you this week's market update. The security token market cap is trading down this week to $14.8 billion on lower than normal volume. As the holidays approach, you can expect to see traders tax lost harvesting, but more sellers than buyers. The depths of a bear market may not be the best time to raise funds, but that is exactly what Blockstream is doing. The crypto infrastructure firm has received fresh funding, but at a much lower valuation than previous rounds, according to a December 7th Bloomberg report. Blockstream was valued at $3.2 billion when it first held its Series B funding round raising $210 million in August 2021. Today, that valuation may have fallen at almost 70% to below $1 billion, according to the report. Desperate times are calling for desperate measures, and CEO Adam Back seemingly ran out of all options. 
Beck Maritas Block Exchange, or BEX, announced that the Financial Services Commission, FSC, Maritas, has granted its first ever securities trade license system under the Maritas Securities Act of 2005 to BEX to operate a security token trading platform. BEX Maritas Block Exchange is the world's first regulated operational security token trading platform that provides retail users and corporate issuers from around the world with 24-7 direct access to security token trading without intermediaries. ADDX has announced another digital security available for investors on its digital asset exchange. The most recent security is a venture debt offering by Innovin Capital, a JV between Sevyora, a Temes subsidiary, and UOB. The $50 million fund combines a fixed return as well as the possibility for capital gain. As the security has been tokenized, ADDX notes that a minimum investment start at US dollar $20,000 as opposed to the normal around $5 million. ADDX leverages blockchain technology as well as smart contracts to automate manual processes. This allows ADDX to make the fund available in fractional units at scale and to enable secondary trading by investors on the ADDX exchange. INX has announced plans to fully integrate with Avalanche with INX. The Avalanche integration, which is planned to be completed this quarter, is another milestone in the shared vision to lead the world in bringing and accessing real-world assets on-chain. As INX continues to grow its global issuer and investor community, expanding access to multiple best-in-class blockchains is essential, said Shai Takeda, founder and CEO of INX. Avalanche is well-positioned among leading blockchain providers, which enables a greater choice for our diverse lineup of security token issuers using the INX1 platform. While its price action has not followed, INX has continued to develop through this bear market. It will be very interesting to track in three to five years if these bets pay off. Will INX be a top dog in the industry? Time will tell, and we will be here to cover it all. That's all for now. Have a fantastic rest of your week, and I'll see you on the other side of the blockchain. Wakey wakey. Welcome to Inside the Metaverse with your host, Eve Van Kong. Shinhan Bank, one of South Korea's top four lenders by net profit, has opened a Metaverse site to provide what it calls non-financial and financial services. The bank said it ran a five-day test trial of the service in June of this year and attracted 85,000 visitors. The bank is currently partnered with Corbit, one of South Korea's big five crypto exchanges, in providing users with real-time deposit and withdrawal accounts mandated by local regulation for transparent transactions. Next, Ave Companies acquires social metaverse developer Sonar. Sonar, which has launched a product of Y Combinator in summer of 2020, is an iOS gaming app that allows users to create and discover digital spaces and be part of activities such as listening to music, playing games, and engaging with other users via custom Moji NFTs, available on the OpenSea platform. Are we sleeping on LG? South Korean electronics giant LG submitted the highest number of metaverse patent applications since 2016. According to a research report by Nikkei Asia, the top 20 companies submitted a total of 7,760 metaverse patents, 57% of which came from US-based companies and South Korean companies having an advantage over its competitors thanks to display color schemes and semiconductors, which have become vital to core components of the metaverse products. 
I wonder what this competitive edge will yield, but I guess we have to just stay tuned to find out. And last but not least, the FTC sues to block Microsoft's acquisition of Activision Blizzard. This isn't Microsoft's first time dealing with competitive pressure. In 1998, the U.S. Justice Department filed a broad antitrust case against the company. Brad Smith, Microsoft's vice chair and president, said in a statement, we continue to believe that this deal would expand the competition and create more opportunities for gamers and game developers. They come from the FTC with the control of Activision's content, Microsoft would have the ability to increase incentives to withhold or degrade Activision's content in ways that substantially lessen competition, including competition, product quality, price, and innovation. Well, this FTC is coming off of recent loss from Meta, and they will be two for two, but I don't know. Stay tuned for find out. That was Inside the Metaverse with your host, Yves Van Cole. And now it's time to dive into our Companies of the Week segment. This is where Herwig and I picked two companies that caught our eye for doing something we wanted to specifically shout them out for, for driving this industry forward, and of course, gives them a nomination for our Company of the Year Award, where we pick one company at the very end from one of the nominees of all 50-plus episodes we've done this year to give them the award of the winner of the entire year, the best company in the space. So, with some last-minute entrants, Herwig, who was your winner this week? Well, yeah, first-time winner for me, BEX Mauritius Exchange. We heard it on the top five. They officially got their security token license from the uh, FSC, the Financial Services Commission there. And that is huge news, folks. Not only is it a brand new entrant to the industry, which is fantastic, yet another avenue for tokenization, but specifically they enable a lot more capabilities as an exchange. We see a lot of broker dealers here in the United States and many other countries. They are the primary source for liquidity, but unfortunately they tend to be limited with what their capabilities are compared to a full-blown exchange. And that's exactly what BEX is. And in fact, they're gonna be bringing 24-7 trading to the space. They're already in beta. And CEO Pascal Niederman plans to bring both micro-cap companies as well as all the way up to medium-sized companies onto the platform, which just gets me excited about 2023 as we see yet another host of potential token offerings as well as Great main topic uh, conversation for in just a minute about the opportunity for international uh, mm. companies. So for that reason, Kyle, Bex uh, is my company of the week. Amazing. Yet another one of over hundreds of different primary brokers and secondary markets we're tracking around the world that are driving the innovation. Kyle, what about you? Who's your company of the week? We got a first time winner. We have a huge winner. This is the community member of the month for security token market this month. This is specifically Actionariat. It is a Swiss company. They are driving adoption left and right. They have 29 tokenized shares of companies through their platform that are trading on secondary markets. They are driving the innovation by doing it themselves. We've seen many different marketplaces get live, get the right licensure, and then struggle to drive adoption from getting new issuers, getting new listings on their platform. That has not been a problem for Actionariat, who continues to do this. In fact, when I've spoken with them multiple times, they've told me their goal is to get hundreds of companies on their platform. And certainly with the fact that they went from, they've only been around for a couple years, they've already got 29 on their platform. And they seem to have businesses both from small startups through to established companies on their platform, staying in Switzerland for now, but potentially expanding to other European jurisdictions and one day perhaps around the world. 
I wanted to shout out them for doing some amazing things. Marat came on our community member event and had a wonderful Q&A session with me. We had a great community host there and shout out to the entire team at Actionariat for being a data partner and really doing some amazing stuff in the industry. Awesome choice, Kyle. Great company, great Twitter spaces. You got to check those out, folks, if you're not familiar with them. Featuring our community members of the month, so it makes total sense that you're choosing them as your company of the week. And with that, I think we can dive into the main topic. Now it's time for our main topic, finally, episode 169. Trust me, we will never stop running out of things to talk about. Uh, and this week, it's actually going to be talking about the opportunity for international security token companies. Can they potentially compete and even maybe de own the number one capital market in the mm. world, which is, of course, where we're located in the United States. But Security Token Market is a global company tracking everything and everywhere about security tokens. So we know there is a lot going on. Today, we're going to be talking about that, diving into this fantastic opportunity, giving a little oversight on what's happening outside of the U.S. borders. Kyle, anything you want to kick off with? Yeah, I think there's two trains of thought with respect to security tokens. You have the benefits of the technology, which presents a huge cost savings for issuers, for banks, for institutions that are based in the U.S. This is the largest capital market in the world. There's so much opportunity here. It's so competitive that potentially you've got challengers in this market that are going to try to take advantage of those small pieces of cost of capital. And as we know, profits are made on the margins. So there is this opportunity that potentially it's inside of the U.S. that drives this innovation. However, internationally, there presents this huge opportunity to steal some of that market share that Wall Street traditionally had dominated, monopolized, if you will. And some of these more leaner, risk tolerant jurisdictions may be able to support things, especially now the technology reduces the need for physically being in a specific place. And you know what? The facts seem to back that potentially we're seeing real adoption internationally. Possibly the great equalizer. Of course, capital markets benefit from uh, more investors, more international collaboration and connection between markets. So this could also be the great new era of security tokens, I think. But now we're going to dive in. Uh, and I want to start off with the example of my company of the week, actually. right? We've got the island of Mauritius, which is a tiny, tiny island. And now you've got a company saying, hey, we've got a full-blown exchange ready to compete. But guess what? They're 24-7. They're leveraging security tokens. They're ready to start listing. Uh, and it doesn't matter uh, the way they, they're designed because or the way that the company is designed that wants to list because Mauritius as a small island wants to enable outside assets. So now we're not just talking about tokenizing, you know, whatever businesses are located there, but now we're actually just creating a new vehicle, a new marketplace, uh, leveraging the BEX uh, exchange in order to trade assets. And so that, that's a fantastic opportunity because it's not necessarily easy to just go and list on the United States. Uh, and leverage their uh, liquidity marketplaces, right? We we see the fact that it's difficult for investors that are internationally to even access companies in the United States, let alone list. Uh, and of course, uh, it's much cheaper to list outside the United States because you've got to deal with all of the U.S. regulations and compliance that comes along with wanting to be in the U.S. markets in the first place. So I see this as a huge opportunity for little island nations We've seen this with Merge over in the Seychelles, another small island successfully listing security token offerings. We've even seen one in the United States that we helped list there at one point. Uh, and we're seeing even, uh, you know, like the Caribbean and other places 
taking advantage of this kind of small jurisdiction, small nation, but global marketplace for trading. Absolutely right. I think that they're following in the footsteps of Merge, which we saw do something successful as well, where this is in the Seychelles. They hired a firm to help them build and and develop that whole infrastructure. And now they support equities trading all around the world. And it's a really, really interesting and fascinating use case and case study around exactly your point of lowering the friction, lowering the barriers of entry for a lot of these players and providing brokering services. And when you leverage a distributed ledger, when you work with a system where everybody can access and see the same information, it helps increase the transparency so there's less friction from regulators, right? Traditionally, if something was structured in the British Virgin Islands, there might have been some negative feedback there just because there's not a lot of transparency, you can't exactly see what's going on, and so perhaps there are some tax avoidance or things that could be happening. We've certainly seen a lot of use cases of that throughout history. But if everything's on chain, everything's being managed through a centralized ledger, then it doesn't really matter exactly which jurisdiction is actually providing as long as we're all playing by the same rules, which is really, really interesting. And so, Herwig, I think an interesting way to pivot is I I just kind of jotted down some of the things off the top of my head in terms of industries or use cases, and we're seeing really adoption internationally. So you look at debt offerings, and we cover corporate and institutional debt all the time on the show, and they're almost always happening internationally. We haven't seen a US-based treasury bond really take off. We saw ARCA built something kind of around that that notes style of structure, but very, very small in size. We've seen hundreds of millions of dollars created and tokenized using the Bank of France. Obviously in Germany, as we've talked about quite a few times on the show uh, over the last few weeks, Singapore, uh, South Korea, Japan have all been huge in driving the adoption of some of these more centralized banking debt offerings, running these test cases. Debt has been an obvious win for international jurisdictions. Bonds are huge. Bonds are huge. Bonds are a massive, massive market. Uh, And again, if you're not taking advantage of that U.S. liquidity, bonds suffer from those issues and obviously are a natural fit. Couldn't agree more. Then we look at equities. And I just mentioned my company of the week, Actionariat, with 29 tokenized shares of companies on their platform alone. That is more than any other platform anywhere around the world except for ADEX, which is doing venture funds and a lot of other types of listings, also internationally. Both of those both of those platforms, two of the leaders in terms of volume, or we look at number three as well with Realty. They've done over 200 properties together, US-based real estate, but two international investors. Three of the largest platforms issuing security tokens out to jurisdictions are actually all selling and creating marketplaces outside of the U.S.'s oversight and outside of the U.S. purview. Even a company like uh, Elevated Returns, which was behind the Aspen coin, a U.S. trading asset, they've mentioned plans of trying to launch a exchange in Thailand and other jurisdictions to go ahead and take advantage of those international, uh, more slightly friendly uh, for security token regulations and jurisdictions. So huge opportunities, totally HQLA acts out of Germany. Uh, you've got, as you mentioned, ADEX, I think, Archax out of uh, yeah, Europe, out of England. Sure. They're going to bring the UK together with their license. Um, you've even seen uh, platforms like Tokeny and DigiShares in sure. Europe. Uh, Stobox, helping Smartlands. Stobox, Smartlands. You know, so you're seeing a very active ecosystem. And to your exact point, when you stack up the international exchanges to the US exchanges when it comes to listing, 
or marketplaces, I should say, um, they they absolutely the U.S. loses this battle. And then um, even in terms of regulation, war. right? You've got these regulatory sandboxes where you've got places like uh, Singapore, which pioneered this. I think South Korea is working on something similar, and Europe has has been very friendly around this sort of rhetoric as well around building frameworks for these types of things, defining the assets. We saw Liechtenstein do something similar. Mm -hmm. We've seen central bank digital currencies being explored in places like the Bahamas and in places all around the world. Certainly Europe has been very active from the European Central Bank in establishing a digital currency. All of these different places, certainly China has been incredibly active with their E1 in terms of how that's been impacting their, their currency and their economic zones. So we have really seen a ton of adoption internationally. In the U.S., we've got the Fed pilot, which made some headlines, and that was exciting, but we'll see how quickly that moves. Aside from that, it really has been mostly the SEC trying to crack down on projects as opposed to embracing innovation. I think that that's probably the key difference in perspective. The U.S. is kind of trying to to enforce by regulation as opposed to embrace through innovation. And, and you know, obviously the U.S. is in a very different position because it needs to maintain its dominance. It needs to maintain the safety of its markets. I mean, you nailed it but, right there. Right. It's like the U.S. can't move quickly, folks. It has to you know, continue its, with its reputation. It has no need to necessarily innovate. None of the companies that we've mentioned, unfortunately, are a threat right now. Uh, but they will be as they have now potentially better technology, better infrastructure to compete against Wall Street. And as a result, we will see continuing uh, international progress go beyond what we're seeing in the United States. To your point, they are enforcing rules. They're not looking to change them. They're not looking to create clarity. Perhaps Congress and the FTX meltdown may lead to some of that. But meanwhile, other jurisdictions are being proactive. They're defining security tokens. They're enabling marketplaces and exchanges to get licensed and get approved and get moving. So for sure, if I had to make a bet on it, Kyle, when it comes to the opportunity for international, in the short run here, I think for sure, we're going to see more issuances, more trading volumes, more innovation, even cross-border collaboration mm. we've seen between Japan uh, and Singapore and many other uh, jurisdictions coming together. So I think because of all those reasons, if you are interested in this space, you for sure need to keep an eye out on what's happening outside of the United States just as much as what Wall Street is working on behind closed doors, uh, which they are not, not necessarily so transparent about, but they are uh, telling us some little things here and there. So don't count the United States out. But I think for sure, if I had to make it back, Kyle, next year, we're going to see more volume, more listings, more mm. everything uh, internationally than we will in the United States. I think it makes total sense. And it's a natural progression to look at, well, if that's happening, why? What are the incentives for either the outside world, the field from a betting perspective, the field, what are their incentives to drive this innovation and adoption? And potentially what are the perverse incentives for the US in not enforcing that? I, I kind of put it into three buckets. I've got the regulatory incentives and, and the realities there. We've got the risk and then we've got the reward. So like when we're talking about regulation, the independent countries internationally, these 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 are players that are heavily reliant on the U.S. dollar, on the U.S. markets, and on our capital stack because of the fact that, as we mentioned, the U.S. is the dominant force with respect to capital markets. So if you are a different jurisdiction, you obviously are interested in embracing innovation because you have a large incentive to be independent, to take some of that market share from the U.S. capital markets. 
On the other side, there's progress with CBDCs that are happening. So you know that the governments are already more favorably looking towards this stuff. So you feel more comfortable that you're going to get regulatory support for this stuff, not to mention the actually de demonstrated effects and benefits of those tests and of those pilots that we can see, which helps, I think, sway everyone's opinion on this stuff. You obviously have more flexibility because of the fact that many of these are smaller nations or, or certainly smaller enforcement agencies. So there's probably less likelihood you're going to get punished even if you don't do something exactly right because of the fact that there's less people there to actually enforce, potentially more opportunity for no action letters or quick and easy settlement or some of those things, easier to contact and get in touch with them. And then finally, I think the biggest thing to what you mentioned is there's probably less pressure because of the fact that you don't necessarily need to set a global standard with your actions. And this is really where the U.S. takes itself very seriously because it wants or certainly has been in the past the global police, right, with regards to military action, certainly with regards to financial action. It knows that whatever the U.S. puts forward and embraces, then the rest of the world is probably going to take that as gospel, which means that the spotlight is consistently on the U.S. as opposed to if you're in Mauritius or even if you're in a larger economic zone, you still don't have that same pressure that a country like the U.S. might in terms of, of what they say goes. And then once you let that genie out of the bottle, it's very hard to reel it back in from there. And so those are, I think, some of the main things I see from a regulatory perspective. That yeah, are, that I are think that's a good impacting. way you can maybe split it up in the two buckets for the opportunity here, which is you've got these countries that are much more established, like England and Japan and even Hong Kong and other financial centers that maybe are going to be looking towards United States for what they're planning to do. That's their wait and see approach. They feel that they also cannot necessarily take the risk of innovating here and embracing this and instead waiting to see what the biggest and the best do. Uh, alternatively, you've got other countries that are saying, you know what, this is our chance to compete and actually say, hey, United States, we've got something that's just as good uh, that you know could be potentially attractive to people looking to list there, uh, as well as just opening up new opportunities in general for assets that never even before existed. And again, that's a problem for the United States because they're too complicated, too big, too expensive for anyone to just go. Now you're going to see opportunities across the world marketplaces and exchanges across the world enable liquidity for assets that would have never been trading in the first place. Uh, so I think it's just an absolute risk reward opportunity. It makes mm. total sense for these countries uh, because they know they can't necessarily compete at the current level uh, of infrastructure. And so I, I think that's a great way to, to look at it from you know the regulation being their advantage in some cases because the U.S. has to move slow. And the reward, obviously, being they can now compete and maintain yeah. a financial services industry within their own region. Totally. And then when you, you take that risk reward calculation even a step further, right? As we mentioned, with a lot of these countries, they've got less established financial authorities. So there's probably less risk of enforcement action against you, which obviously certainly plays into effect. You look at, at even some of the bad actors have fled to different countries where they know they're probably not going to get in trouble. So they're more likely to take risk, which hopefully also is not always bad. Risk is not always 
fraudulent. Sometimes yeah. well, it's Well, I just, think in that example, it's pretty bad. Exactly. <laughs> but There's hopefully, a, the, you know, the new safeguards, they're getting approved to prevent bad actors. Sure. That's I, where I you know, need the, you know. the ledger and you need to make sure that all yeah. these things are, are aligned. It's certainly not a good example in regard to the risk tolerance. Yeah. But I, I think your point actually proves why the United States is more favorable. Exactly because right. people know it's the safest market to There invest. you go. So That's if you're an international company, you better be looking out and making sure you maintain that standard. I like that point a lot. And that is exactly why sometimes the U.S. will say, look, we can't move forward until we actually understand what we're dealing with here, until we classify these innovations, because you get all these different types of things. Even inside the U.S., they've struggled with this with regards to decentralized assets and saying, oh, well, this is decentralized, so it's no longer a security. Like, well, let's actually take that a step back and try to unpack that before we actually push regulation. The other side of it is there's less traditional options for fundraising, for capital access, for different jurisdictions outside of the U.S. There's not as much venture capital. There's not as much private equity. There's not as much underwriting happening from the banks. So they need to open up these opportunities. On the reward side, you're just talking about new investor bases, right? Accessing these different countries because they're all segregated and trying to get access to this. And then, of course, it's the opportunity to capture market share. It's just the opportunity to build their own financial jurisdictions to be able to rival that of Wall Street. An absolute great opportunity. If you have any questions, thoughts, feedback about any of this, you can, of course, reach out to Kyle and myself. We're always available on social media. And of course, all of this is available on stm.co, all the latest, greatest news, all of the information, the trading prices, what's going on. Uh, And of course, check out our What's Trippin' newsletter with a weekly digest if you don't have time. Thank you so much for watching. Please like, subscribe, share it how you do. And we'll talk to you next week for the last week of the the season before we get into our Company of the Year awards. And with that, happy tokenizing.